This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Sunday Night Health Show Podcast. Tonight we talk with Dr. Jason Kinderchuk about all things COVID, like recombinant viruses and what lies ahead for Canada. Also, Mina Fung joins me to talk about money, power, and finances. And are you in a sexless marriages? My treatment plan for you. The Sunday Night Health Show Podcast starts now. Good evening, Dr. Kinderchuk. Good evening, and I feel Andrew's pain. I, I turned to my right today, and it, was just, it, it felt like somebody hit me with a two-by-four. Uh-oh. I was like, oh, so this is what happens when you're 44. I'll share some naproxen. It's the worst. <laughs> Low back pain is the worst. It, it can really affect mood, and, and, and it's so common, it, but it really alters uh, your life. We'll have to do a segment on that. <laughs> <laughs> because it is so common. I, and I have this fantastic device that the chiropractor has. Can't think of the name of it. Anyway, um, but it, it is very helpful. It's, anyway, here we are. We're not talking about low back pain, although I hope the two of you get better rapidly. Uh, we are talking about uh, tonight, uh, Dr. Kinderjack, this uh, potential third wave that uh, people keep talking about, also recombinant uh, virus. And uh, so is Canada headed for a third wave of COVID-19? Oh, you put me on the spot with this one. Uh, you know, hopefully uh, I won't get a lot of hate mail. But uh, listen, I, I think that certainly we're seeing a lot of people discussing that that potential reality, right? And I think, you know, let's take a step back and, and say this. It, it's certainly in our hands. Um, we, we know right now that, that B117 and the other variants are here. B117 certainly adds a lot of concern uh, based on just the, the enhanced transmissibility. But we also know that in a lot of regions across Canada, even without taking the variants into account, we're seeing a, you know, a plateauing of, of some of the decreases in cases. Um, all of these things give us an indication that we could go back into that resurgence. The good news is, is that we have a few things on our side, which is certainly the warming weather. Um, I think behavior-wise, I think certainly we, we've seen worldwide cases have been decreasing, which I think reflects back uh, very well on, on people making more informed decisions. Um, so it really is up to us. I think that, yes, we, we can see lots of reopenings occurring, but that doesn't mean that we have to stop making informed choices. And I think really this is going to be, uh, you know, quite frankly, uh, up to us to decide whether we want to risk going into a third wave or, or continue making the right choices and, and trying to kind of get through the, the next few weeks uh, to a couple of months until we see the vaccine get more broadly uh, administered as well as the, the weather starts to turn and people being outdoors more. And, and if we look to the south um, of us, the U.S., who didn't do too well in the first, uh, you know, really three quarters of a year uh, with the yeah. pandemic, uh, given that it had taken on a political uh, theme, 
Um, but now they seem to be in part because of their, you know, large corporations that are in the U S and their distribution and logistics and supply chain. They're able to actually deliver on the vaccine promise. And many Americans are being uh, vaccinated when we're quite far behind. If you compare British Columbia to, uh, Washington state, it's kind of 200,000 or so around there to, um, over a million, well over a million in Washington state. And we're approximately the same population. Population, 5 million for British Columbia, about 7 million for Washington State. Um, so how much, um, you know, is, how important is it for Canadians to get these vaccines? And, and also we're seeing a reduction in cases, in COVID cases in the U.S. Can, yeah. we, can we assume that there were a whole lot more cases because testing was not um, widely uh, done early, in, in particular early on in the U.S. Uh, or in many places, but with that reduction, so are we seeing a reduction due to the vaccine and due to because people have been vaccinated and their uh, measures, the primitive measures that they're utilizing? Well, okay, can I just say yes to all of the above? Okay. I'm going to say it's, it, it, it's a combination of everything, right? So we have behavioral changes. We have certainly increasing vaccination. Certainly some amount of population immunity is probably playing a role, uh, in, you know, certainly in some of the harder hit areas of the U.S. Um, you know, some of the weather uh, changes that, that we've started to see, although that's a little bit more difficult to factor in. All, all of these things play a role. And, and I think, you know, what, what we're seeing right now with the vaccine, certainly with the Pfizer vaccine, is that there's actually quite a bit of data starting to say, you know what, not only is it a very efficacious vaccine, but by the way, it looks like there actually may be a, a link to decreased transmission. So I think what we're seeing now is is a combination of all of this. And, and I think that's why it becomes so important for us to say, we have to figure out a way to get the Canadian public uh, immunized as, as quickly as possible. I have an email to read uh, for you. Uh, Dear Maureen, love your show and in particular, love your guest, Dr. Kinderchuk. I'm getting married in May and I would like his opinion as to whether we will be able to have 50 people, 75 people, 150 people, or just 10 at the wedding. What do you think, Dr. Kinderchuk? <laughs> well, I'm waiting to see if you get an email this week that says, I hate Dr. Kinderchuk. I just know why you have him on. 10 uh, people. But, He's not my favorite. No. <laughs> well, wait, no, you know, I've, I've already had to do this with, with family that had, you know, earlier on in 2020 had, had been talking about going into, uh, you know, into Mexico in early 2021 and asking my opinion. I, you know, I think May is going to be a tough sell, right? I think that. Certainly, I think we'll probably see some relaxation. Um, I think that, you know, the warm weather, certainly if, if it follows what we saw last spring, that transmission rates will probably start to be reduced. Um, I would expect, based on the data we're seeing now, that probably, you know, higher than 10, but certainly not higher than 50. Um, but again, you know what, I'm a virologist, so it, it's easy for me to, to kind of make those attestations. I think a lot of it is going to be dictated by what happens over the next few weeks with uh, the reopenings, case numbers, and then what uh, what occurs with the variants. And do you think that with reopenings, we're actually going to see that surge and uh, it's going to put us backwards? You know, I heard somebody it's say, true. it's all the parties you're all going to now. It's all the dinners you're having. It's all the rules you're breaking. You know, if you just stay home, which has its own yeah. negative effects for a lot of people, um, you know, we'll be in this for a shorter amount of time. Is lock, is is lifting the lockdown the best idea? Well, I think that, you know, you're, you're, you're hearing from, you know, some of the smartest people around Canada saying that, 
uh, we need to do this very, very slowly and very strategically, in particular in areas where the cases are starting to plateau, uh, even without those lockdowns being lifted, those restrictions being lifted. Um, so I, I think that um, certainly, you know, the, probably the majority of the transmission is being driven still by people that, yeah, that are, are associating very closely in, in smaller settings. Um, but certainly lifting the lockdowns and, and lifting restrictions uh, only probably pushes more people to undertake those activities. And, and I think a lot of it has to come back to messaging and trying to get, you know, a good cogent messaging out to people that's saying that, yes, even with lifting of restrictions, um, we don't all have to, you know, kind of pretend it's 2019. We, we have to still make, be really diligent about the choices we make and also understand where those circuit breakers are going to be, where, you know, what, what is the, you know, what is going to be the, the number of cases that change or the trajectory that changes that pushes governments to re-implementing restrictions? Because I don't think that that has been quite sorted out yet. On the line, of course, is Dr. Jason Kinderchuk, and we are talking all things COVID and coronavirus. Um, Dr. Kinderchuk, there has been uh, word about a recombination of yes. the of variants. Tell, tell us what recombinant viruses are. Uh, yeah, so, you know, a good way to talk about recombinant viruses is to think about what happens with influenza viruses. Um, you know, what we can see, uh, certainly we, we've seen it in, in pigs and seen it in, uh, in avian species. What will happen is you get two viruses, uh, you know, two influenza viruses that are a little bit different uh, that will basically co-infect uh, an animal. And what will happen is that they'll mix and mix their genetic material up. And sometimes what you get is a rearrangement of the genes that actually gives a new virus that is able to you know, propagate. So it's able to basically create more copies of itself and, and transmit and, and, uh, and reproduce. So, you know, these kinds of things don't happen that often that, you know, for every recombinant that works, you know, probably, you know, uh, you know orders of magnitude of, uh, of numbers of recombinants don't end up turning into anything. Um, and there's been this discussion this past uh, week um, about the fact that, you know, there, we've seen two variants now that have potentially merged. Um, you know, here's one of the problems we face throughout this entire pandemic is we've seen a lot of, um, I guess, scientific announcements that have been made by press release without the accompanying data to actually, you know, provide some context for what we're seeing. And this is kind of what, what has happened this week. And I think, you know, there was a, this initial surge of, uh, you know, of interest in, in what occurred or what had been announced. But then a lot of question as to, okay, where is the accompanying data? And I think what we're all kind of facing now is, you know, trying to say to people, yes, recombinants can occur, the recombination can occur, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you get a worse virus. So you can take, you know, two bad variants and mix them together. And those variants uh, may produce, uh, you know, a, a new virus that actually is, is far less fit. Now, because of the mutations, doesn't necessarily equal something that's more dangerous, that it may just actually be far less uh, virulent or far less able to create copies of itself. And I think that's where we have to take, you know, kind of a, a step back and, and provide that context that until we see any accompanying data, right now we, we can't say at all what this means. It's, it's an observation. It's potentially interesting, but we don't know yet. And if you have a question for the doctor, the number call is one 399 That's one 399 So it's not necessarily a race against time between uh, the recombination of viruses and the vaccine administration. 
No, I mean, I would say that the, the race against time right now is we know that more you know, kind of you know, natural variants or, or variants of the population will occur as the virus is able to transmit. So if we're able to cut down that transmission by getting people immunized and, and cutting those, those transmission chains in communities, that's going to help us battle back against any uh, further emergences of new variants. And, and are you feeling stressed about uh, the fact that we're not able to get people immunized as rapidly as you know, we'd like? Oh, and one hundred percent, right? I, you know, it's stressful for me to talk to colleagues in the U.S. and and see how far down the line they are uh, in regards to the numbers of people that have been vaccinated. I mean, there's very few people that I uh, know in the U.S. that that are researchers that that have not been vaccinated. So that that to me is a concern. When you know, in, in my family and my uh, my spouse's family, we have people that that fit into that high risk group, and we have no idea when they're going to get vaccinated. That to me is unbelievably concerning uh, considering, you know, where, you know, where and what we're facing potentially coming up uh, with, with the variants and, uh, and resurgence in Canada. Absolutely. And the same for me. I have a lot of American relatives in, um, and that are in, some are in healthcare. Everybody in healthcare has been vaccinated. Everybody that yeah. needs the vaccination has received it. Um, here, I know very few nurses who have actually been vaccinated. Um, and, uh, and the, the other thing that is concerning is nobody is even hearing anything about yeah. when they might get vaccinated. And, you know, I heard the other day in British Columbia, you know, people over the age of 80, you know, and it's like, that's where you are. You know, yeah. um, you know, we really have hey, to. Man- Man- Manitoba right now is this week. I think it's, you know, 95 and above. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, that, that to me is that's concerning if we're at that point right now. That's right, especially for patient-facing healthcare providers, mm-hmm. and there are many. Well, as usual, thank you so much for joining me on the program this evening. It's always a, a delight uh, and a pleasure to learn from you. Uh, you're a bastion of knowledge and, and certainly one of my listeners' favorite guests. So <laughs> that's <laughs> great. a pleasure, Maureen. I hope your back gets better. <laughs> Try the thumper. Thank you very much. Right. Take care. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. If you have a question for me or any of my guests, the number to call is 1-877-399-9898. That's 1-877-399-9898. You can always email me, respectfully, of course, nursetalk at hotmail.com. So this is a subject that I have a lot of interest in because it's because I'm a woman and we don't talk about this. We don't discuss this. There seems to be fear around it. I've certainly experienced that myself. It relates to fairness. Uh, I'm talking about uh, money and fair compensation. Joining me on the line is Advancing Women in Career, Business and Investment, an advocate for women, money and power. She is none other than Mina Fung. Good evening, Mina. Hi, Maureen. Yes. Thank you for having me back. Oh, well, thank you so much for joining me. This is such an important subject, um, women and money, because we are socialized so differently um, around money than than men are. And in fact, uh, it relates to how much power that we have. You know, I have to say... Recently, I, uh, you know, I, I do contract work and it doesn't matter uh, who they are or when or what I've been paid. Whenever I have to put in a proposal or somebody says, you know, tell me what your 
tell me what you'll do this for. You know, I, <laughs> I will, I lament over it. I stay up the other night. I stayed up till like one o'clock in the morning. My husband said, what were you doing down there? I said, you could have stayed with me so that I could have discussed this with you, you know, because I wanted to talk about it back and forth, back and forth, you know, a thousand times. <laughs> and, you know, he had his bit of advice and he went to bed. That was it. Um, and so, you know, we think about it. We wonder, we're afraid. Should we ask for more? Um, are we worried? It you know the the great book uh, by uh, Mira Brzezinski, the broadcast journalist who wrote Know Your Worth, um, but women don't necessarily know their worth. So, tell me how women lose their power by not having this good relationship with money. Well, first of all, I think all of us know money matters. We all love money, but. For women, I think perhaps is how we're conditioned socially and culturally, especially from our own family. And I don't think it's like only applied to certain culture. It's probably all across the culture. There's a gender difference between how we are being taught about money growing up. I'm not sure about it's applicable to every girl, but a lot of girls when we're going up, our mom's talking about having a good life is to have a good marriage, marry up, basically. They never tell us that we have to earn money, make money, and then build our own empire. It's all about marrying into a good family and have a good life. I think from there... I I think that's common, but I want to interrupt if you don't mind. Honestly, I was raised by an accountant, and so uh, he <laughs> he would say, "Make your own way in life. Never depend on a man for money." And I actually thought that was great advice, and and I it has served me well. And and I just wanted to say that because that was my father's advice, and I think that's great advice for parents to say. Nonetheless, you know, he's also had to, you know. Uh, over the years say, you know, you are entitled to fair compensation, uh, you know, and so just little bit tidbits of advice was helpful. Yet I, I still admit to this fear around money. Carry on. <laughs> yeah, well, because stereotype also make us believe that we're less worth of what we are capable of. And also we don't talk about it. As much as money matters, conversation matters even more. I'm not sure you talk about money with your girlfriends. We talk about fashions. We talk about vacations. But we hardly talk about money, especially how we earn more and build more and how we negotiate. Is that my own experience or you experience the same? Well, I mean, negotiation, I think, is a is a big issue for a lot of women. And I, I believe that it's easier for men to negotiate um, than because in part, I think they have been taught that and they have been educated around that or socialized in that way. Um, but you're right. You're absolutely correct. You talk about clothes and shoes and exercise and uh, everything, men and life, kids. Um, but yeah, we don't really talk about money especially investments. And I, and I think I was talking to Sterling Fox this morning on CKNW and uh, he was saying how, you know, men invest their money, which, you know, it's almost like a game for them. Uh, you know, where, whereas women, you know, may shy away from that a little bit more. Yeah, even for professional women, actually, I'm a CPA. 
in both Canada and U.S. Mm-hmm. So I handle millions of dollars for other people. But even for me, talking about money, it doesn't come easy. So we have to all practice that. Actually, it didn't trigger the urge to talk more about money until I shared the article with you about Britney Spears, how she's making millions and still not able to control her own finance. That's just... That's right. That, uh, that made headlines last week. And I did try to look for that, uh, but I wasn't able to, to, to find it, to stream it. But I mean, even still with the uh, court ruling, it's my understanding that she still doesn't have full control um, over her finances. No. Uh, in the U.S. history, there's never a reversal of conservatorship. So that's her situation. And I hope she's the first case to break history because the history has not made family for women. And that's her father is controlling uh, her finances, correct? Yes. Yes. And so, you know, you, I, I want to say, what kind of a father <laughs> is that <laughs> that would do that? You know, my father certainly would never do that. Um, I, I just don't even understand how somebody can think that that's okay. Uh, but again, it's that oppression uh, of women. The other thing we face, and you talk about in that great uh, blog post that you wrote, that great article about women, money and power, is the glass ceilings that women face. And you made a, a comment that at work, you know, men will tap other men even if they're less competent than a woman at work and they'll, you know, tap them on the, on the shoulder. Hey, you want to be the boss? You know, you're next kind of thing, which that women face so many glass ceilings. Yeah. If people are talking, there's none or there's one like at the table. Nowadays, the popular trend is talking about at the table. It's great. Like we have to have make more money, earn it, make it grow it in order to even build our own table. But at the same time, we also have to acknowledge collectively, we also need to make more, build more economic power in order to have the gender gap uh, even close a little bit. It will take us at several generations. But yeah, that article is about there's actually layers, layers and layers. Every, every layers we have to break through, we have to do something. As a matter of fact, um, the person I trained and became the, the boss and partner, I no longer at the company. And he was 29 at the time, just two years ago, and then he he invited me for dinner. I think he just wanted to tell me, I'm 29. Thank you for training me. But now I'm the partner or I'm the boss mm-hmm. at 29. That usually don't happen to women. So uh, I want to see that to, to be more often. So women have to think about not so much of waiting for to be empowered. We have to think about whether like, our own natural power. My women give birth to the whole human race. So just that alone, we have the power. So we just need to tap into our own power conceptually. But practically, we have to think and talk more about money. It's very simple things. And, you know, the other thing you earlier mentioned about, uh, sorry if I've interrupted you. Did you want to say something else? Oh, no. Go, go ahead. Um, you talked earlier about how, you know, mothers talk about, you know, getting married and have a good life and, you know, effectively relying on somebody for um, money. Um, but it's, 
you know, it's really a lot of people go into that. A lot of women go into that marriage relying on somebody else for money. And then they have no idea what the, their bills are. They have no idea what, how they're leveraged. Uh, they have no idea. Oftentimes women find out if the marriage is breaking down that, you know, their husband, and, and it can happen to men as well, I'm sure. But, um, you know, had control of all the finances and is, and is hiding money. I mean, it happened to a friend of mine at the very end of, uh, of them getting divorced. He, you know, rushed her to sign the papers. And that was because he was, you know, he was claiming in the divorce that he didn't have a job. And, but he did have a job the day after the divorce papers were signed, you know, and she said, you know what, I'm, I'm just glad to be rid of him. You know, and then that really underscored just the type of person that he was. Um, but you know, Many women are in marriages and they just let somebody else control the finances for them, their husbands mainly, or partners. True, true. As a matter of fact, I interview a female airline, commercial airline pilot and captain. So she's at the top of her game. When into a marriage with making more money than the husband, bought in all the equities and assets, and... Um, after she got divorced because of him being the psychopath and abused her, and she, he even made her to go into jail because of him abusing her. It's just a, an unbelievable story, but it's true. But for her, because she let the husband take control of all her finances, even though she's the one who bringing all the money after she got divorced, she couldn't buy a house without a co-signer. Right. It, 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 she, she said she couldn't even get a job walking dogs. Yeah, yeah. That I, is scary. Yeah, So we absolutely. have to talk about we do. how to control Yeah, we do have to talk money. about how to control money. And, and I'd like you to hang on the line so we can, uh, after the break, carry on with this conversation and how women can learn to control their own money, understand that it's important that they make their own way. And that starts when they are little girls. We need to re-socialize. Talking money, which is dangerous. <laughs> Fortunately, I have Mina Fung on the line, and she is the co-founder at WIFA Global, Advancing Women in Career, Business, and Investment, and she's an advocate for women, money, and power. Mina, tell uh, the listeners what exactly WIFA, W-I-F-A Global is. We are an early stage at tech startup, advancing women in career, business, and investment. Mainly, our big vision is about closing the gender gap, but to bet, to keep it like to re-engineering, how do we achieve that is to move people advance to career, business, and investment, which a lot of us have not been, for women, have not been comfortable with, and we talk about building our handbag collections for a lot of professionals like myself. We have extra money, we have disposal, disposal income, and we talk about vacations. But more importantly, I want people to get comfortable thinking about building equity and assets. That's the only way we can move up and have collective economic power which has been actually hasn't been going anywhere probably for the last 10 years. So there's other ways we have to rethink how we 
make money, earn money, and grow it for women. If there's a mom or dad out there now that has a young girl, um, you know, I mean, five, six, seven, they start lemonade stands. <laughs> um, <laughs> I actually remember my daughter had a lemonade stand, and, and she said, um, we made, you know, I think she was five, and she said, we made you know, this amount of money, mom. And I said, oh, fantastic. And then she said, um, I said, well, what were your costs? And she said, oh, don't worry about it. I bought everything. <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, I'm like, well, you didn't actually make all that money that you <laughs> you claim because of those expenses. She said, I just said, it's fine. I mean, of course, at five you're, and you're thinking, no, that's not the right way, but <laughs> good for the lemonade stand. But uh, that was actually me that paid for that <laughs> lemonade. Um, but but if you're if you are talking right now to a, a mom or dad who has a young daughter, what what advice would you give them um, to talk to their daughter in the same way that they would talk to their sons about money? Uh, I think the major thing is about delay gratification, about how they use their money. They start giving them allowance uh, gradually, and then let them to buy the things they want. And if they don't, for example, something as good as Legos, they might not be able to buy the new ones they want. Just say wait for your next allowance and save it up. And also, lemonade stands encourage them to learn about the the revenue, the profit, and what, what, what's the cost. So they will actually make some money. And then the money that they actually make are the one that they take home. Right. Not, not the revenue that the mom pay for the course and they take all the revenue. Exactly. Divide it between the friends. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. She had to pay the friends, like the neighbor calls as well. All those are great learning experiences. Uh, absolutely. It, start, it all starts with the lemonade stand. That's how I got my start. Um, and then how about uh, for women in relationships? Um, what, what would be your um, best advice for women, uh, you know, in a relationship and how to deal with money? Like, is it, you know, there's often a question, you know, should we have the same bank account or separate bank accounts? You know, should it all be exposed? Um, should there be full transparency? I will recommend being transparent, but at the same time, absolutely keep your own credit card. Mm-hmm. Even your husband pays for everything, say thank you, and keep your money mm-hmm. and be happy about it, but also keep your own credit card. It's very important to keep your own credit card and keep your own credit history. For the reason that anything happens, you still have a credit history, you can have more options or choice for in the future. Sh- for sure. And how about those glass ceilings? How do we chip away at those? Oh, negotiate, <laughs> negotiate, and negotiate. That's where you talk about uh, how to negotiate those things. We are more reluctant to negotiate. I see guys always negotiate before they're even capable of. So early on in my career, I negotiate every position. I negotiate whether to be a senior or to be a manager. And if they want me to join the company, I have the ability and capability to be a manager, so I won't take less. The the money is less to me at the point. The position is more important because with the manager title, I can negotiate higher. I can tell them 
more about how I can contribute. So negotiate the position first and money secondary. But once you get in, money is also as important. But it's not the only thing. We can negotiate um, the money. We can negotiate about our vacation, our developments, professional developments, and also negotiate your flexible hours. Mm-hmm. There's so many things we can put in the table. This, this is true. On the table to discuss. And it, it's not just also not about working hard. I think I grew up of talking about working hard. Yeah, that, that's a minimum. But we have also about stand up, speed up, and working hard about showing our ability and keep reminding people what you have done. Especially keep it simple. Like, this is what I can do, this is the value I add to the company. This is what I want to ask for. Right. How about people, we don't have much time left, who are scared to death uh, to negotiate, who fear that they're going to actually lose the position? That is, that is the thing about negotiation. The best negotiation is when you can leave the table or, or leave to of get course. the job. So always. But how about somebody who has to put food on the job, table for people? For, you know, their as family. soon as you get a new job, look for opportunities. Look for opportunities inside and outside. Get a sponsorship if you are in a big corporation. Get an outside alternative if you are working in a smaller company. Wonderful. Always Mina, have Mina I have to cut you off. I'm sorry. We're up against the clock here. Thank you so much. Great advice. Okay. Mina Fung, WIFA Global. I am Maureen McGrath. Up next, we're going to be talking about loneliness and mental health. This is the Sunday Night Health Show. you got questions. She's got answers. The nurse is in for Nurse Talk. Welcome to the second hour of the Sunday Night Health Show. Maureen McGrath, registered nurse. Um, you know, I do see patients mostly virtual these days. Uh, and I'm seeing an increase in a number of uh, different mental health conditions, uh, especially as it relates to relationships. Research has linked social isolation and loneliness to higher risks for a variety of physical and mental health conditions. Things like high blood pressure, heart disease, obesity, addiction, a weakened immune system, which is never good in a pandemic, anxiety, depression, cognitive decline, Alzheimer's disease, and even death because there is increased peripheral vascular resistance, which raises blood pressure and can lead to stroke. 54% of Canadians feel lonely during this pandemic, and many, many people are struggling with addiction as well. There are some ways to combat loneliness um, in uh your relationship or in, in life uh, if you're alone and that's really um, how people are impacted those people who are living alone it's it's particularly hard on them because um, if they don't have any family if they don't have any children if they cannot see their family members because somebody may have a weakened immune system um, you know so it, day after day of after day of staying indoors and especially if the weather is bad if there's snow if there's rain or sleet or icy roads, uh, nowhere to go, 
um, you know, nothing to do. Lives become boring in this pandemic. I mean, it's really the same old, same old. Um, I honestly haven't seen friends in, in a, such a long time. I can't even remember. Um, and so different aspects of our lives change. And that loneliness is just so heartbreaking um, for people. And it just gets harder and harder, which is why radio, I think, is so important. Um, because it's it's almost as though people are having a conversation in your living room. And hopefully you feel that a little bit of that right now. Um, but feel free to reach out and email me. Uh, anytime if you have any, any questions around it. But, um, you know, during a pandemic where we're all anxious and hoping for it to end and looking at the news and wondering about the vaccines and, you know, there's so much that is unknown uh, about this. And, uh, and so it's, you know, we can feel lazy. We can feel like we're uh, not doing enough. We're, we're at home, working from home. And, you know, but, but actually productivity has been demonstrated to increase while people are working from home. There's no longer the commute. There's no longer time in between meetings. There's, you know, you don't even have to really get fully dressed to go on a Zoom meeting. You just put on a shirt. So it's like half the time <laughs> of getting ready for work. Um, you can put a hat on too. You can literally roll out of bed and go attend your first meeting. Uh, but there are other things that you can do. Say you're not working. I mean, for a lot of people who've lost their jobs during this pandemic uh, and they're living alone, I mean, it's just adding insult to injury for so many people and their worries and, and concerns. Um, and, it, and you know, I, I hope and pray that this ends uh, soon um, because, I mean, not necessarily even for me, I have to say, but it's for, you know, my, my feeling for people that I know are suffering, um, some of whom are, are my own family members. Um, so it's just so, so challenging, but you know, it, tough times, you know, we, the tough get going. And I mean, it, it, it's hard to say that a year later, you know, with no real end in sight just yet. I mean, there's hope if we look south to the U S but no real hope in sight here yet in Canada. If you, if you really think about it. Um, but it's a time when I, I have to say, you know, if you've always hoped to pick up, you know, perhaps a hobby, you know, it might be a great time, you know, you can order online from Amazon, order all sorts of um, art supplies and maybe um, put your hand to the palette and, um, you know, see about painting, see if there's a, a hidden artist within there. Um, you can pick up a guitar cheap on Amazon or Craigslist as well. Um, now's the time to get into music or, or, an, or an instrument or um, play the piano. You might have one sitting around in your house that you've just never plucked away at. Well, now is the time. No time like the present. Uh, staying connected with people, reaching out to phone people or FaceTime people, also doing something for somebody else. Uh, if finances are an issue, you know, I, I know somebody who weekly makes a hundred sandwiches for, um, uh, homeless people. And, and she and her family do that every single week, which is just, you know, you, you get a lot of satisfaction, 
uh, and happiness when you do for others. Uh, something else is, is Netflix. I used to say Netflix has saved so many marriages, um, but Netflix has been a real um, savior during the pandemic for so many people. I mean, it's something to talk about with other people after you, you know, watch the series. I mean, we just finished Your Honor, which I thought was amazing. Didn't love how it ended, but I think it was supposed to end that way. I won't give it away. Um, but, uh, you know, there are just so many different documentaries and um, movies and series uh, that you can watch on that. Um, or some of the other um, ones as well, Amazon and, and whatever else. Um, so, you know, it's it's that time, um, you know, to exercise. If you have an old bike laying around, you can actually put it on, you know, mount it so that you can bike in place, uh, you know, get creative. It's a time to get creative. But I was, I was um, also interested because people in marriages can actually become lonely. Even if you are living with somebody, you can become lonely. And I was struck by this particular email um, that I received. Dear Maureen, I'm contacting you regarding low libido, sexless marriage. I watched one of your TEDx talks and I think you said a marriage with 10 or less acts of intercourse is termed a sexless marriage. I think I did say that. I think I'm there, this woman says. If it's once a month, my poor husband is getting really lucky. It's become a very bad joke. Our relationship wasn't always like this. It was completely the opposite. I used to really enjoy sex. Now I could go on living with never, ever having it again. My husband doesn't deserve this. He just told me he felt lonely in our marriage. He actually said, I feel alone. I was dumbfounded and knew I had to do something. It's really not fair to him. We don't have many people here in my area that do what you do. In fact, I haven't been able to find anybody in the Southern Ontario area at all. I'm very much looking forward to working with someone with your skill set. Um, so, you know, this is an issue for a lot of, of people, a lot of couples. I, I had about three or four couples this week uh, that I learned about. And oftentimes I say in my clinical practice, there are trends that occur. And so one of the trends recently is that these Couples who've been married for like 35 years, 40 years, they've hit retirement. They had, you know, worked really hard, raised a family. They were looking forward to perhaps one couple was looking forward to perhaps buying a second home, a vacation home uh, that they could have the family and the grandchildren come. And uh, the marriage had been sexless for a number of years and it was never discussed. It was never talked about much like money. Sex isn't talked about either. And uh, so the couple had gone on for, you know, several years and then bada bing, what happens? You guessed it. He had an extramarital affair and she found out about it and, and she was devastated, absolutely devastated. And, you know, she came to see me and, you know, we talked about it. And, you know, at, initially she said this is just such a deal breaker for her um, because, you know, he he should have mentioned that <laughs> this was important for him. Um, but, you know, when couples don't are not comfortable talking about sex, 
they're just not comfortable talking about sex and they're just not going to talk about it. But it is a very important aspect of a, any relationship and you, you just can't expect that the sex stops and uh, there are no risks to that. There are uh, multiple risks to that, like p- chronic pornography and chronic masturbation are some of the risks. And of course, an affair um, is also very common. And apparently the affair had been going on for a couple of years, but the sexless marriage had been uh, been going on for much longer than that. So I think about five years. And so it, to my mind, he, you know, he was in a sexless marriage or they were in a sexless marriage for about three years before he... Um, found himself in in the arms of another woman. Um, You know, and I I say this uh, often as well, is that, uh, you know, somebody can find a vulnerable person from across the room. And, uh, and so that's often the case. And that's often how extramarital affairs begin. You know, somebody's unhappy, they might mention something, oh, there I am to save you. Um, You know, there's, you know, your wife is terrible, you know, kind of talk, but that's not necessarily the truth. And, you know, and especially when it's just about the sex, um, it's, it's the person doesn't want to leave the marriage. And in fact, her husband did not want to leave the marriage, but he did, uh, want to have his, his needs met and he wanted to have sex with his wife, but it was a conversation that was just never on the table. We were talking about sexless marriages and um, also loneliness and how that that can feel incredibly lonely for um, people in uh, relationships that that are sexless. And uh, this can actually deteriorate their health and can also lead to uh, negative uh, side effects of the relationship, on the relationship, um, such as extramarital affairs. And so when, when people come to me and tell me that they have low sexual desire and that they're in a sexless marriage, as this woman did um, recently and through her email that I read to you, basically she said that um, has changed, it's now sexless, and her husband told her he felt lonely in their marriage and, in fact, felt all alone. And she was dumbfounded and knew she had to do something about it, and it wasn't fair to him. And so I just thought I'd let you know how a uh, virtual appointment like that goes, um, basically. So, you know, we talked about, um, you know, age matters, uh, the length of the relationship matters, how somebody met uh, their partner matters. You know, was it an extramarital affair itself? Is that how this couple got together? And and that was not the case here, but that is often the case. Um, And then it's sizzling at the beginning. And then, you know, 10 years later, it's, um, it's all dried up basically. And then that can be a contributing factor as well when women experience vaginal dryness due to perimenopause or, or menopause, the hormones that um, the estrogen, which is the hormone regulator of the vagina, can decrease and it can lead to decreased elasticity and dryness and sexual pain, which can lead to low sexual desire. And this particular woman did have that as well. And she also had delayed orgasm, which is an issue. Um, 
uh, because when that, that's often, I, I see that quite often with women who have vaginal dryness, it takes them longer to experience orgasm. And, um, because once again, the estrogen has decreased and, and that estrogen helps with blood flow and, and it helps with moisture and lubrication. And so this particular woman said, you know, there's really nothing in it for me. There's really no great pleasure. Um, and so, you know, why bother? She also had some body image issues, which a lot of women face as well. And, and, and especially this year with the pandemic, so many women, um, you know, I, I heard someone say, maybe it was me, I didn't get COVID yet, but I've got the 19, 19 pounds that is a lot of women and men have put on weight during this pandemic and that can affect a sexual relationship. You may not feel great about your own body or you may not be attracted to that body at 20 pounds heavier um, than it was when it was maybe 30 pounds heavier already. Um, and so she did have some body image issues as well. And, and she really didn't have any time to herself. No me time, which is really important. She was just working all day long, sitting at her computer, not really getting up, you know, barely letting the dog out. And, you know, she, she did also mention that she felt kind of down as well. And depression will impact sexual desire as well. And she was tired. She said, you know, at the end of the day, she was exhausted and it wasn't even really from doing too much because she really wasn't doing much beyond working at her computer and just eating whatever she wanted. And so she wasn't taking any time to herself. She wasn't exercising. She didn't feel great about her body. And also she expected sexual desire to come first because, but that's a fallacy. And the reason women and men expect sexual desire to come first is because yes, indeed it is more linear for men and sexual desire will come first more so, but men also experience low sexual desire at half the rate of women, but they still do experience low sexual desire, but it's more of a linear model for men. Whereas for women, it's more of a, uh, complex, um, circular, um, biopsychosocial model. It's related to many different things. And so sexual desire does not necessarily come first. And, and we think of it in terms of it's responsive. So if, in other words, if all is going well in your relationship and your partner makes sexual advances toward you, whether it's a male partner or a female partner, it doesn't matter. Um, and they make sexual advances toward you and you accept the sexual advances, the, the relationship, you know, is sex is uh, mutual and consenting and you accept those sexual advances and you enjoy it, we call that responsive sexual desire. So there's a whole host of women out there that just say, I have no desire um, because it doesn't come first. They just don't feel like having sex. But the, if they accept that, you see that that sexual interest and that sexual arousal and that desire, it all comes at the same time. I've, I've had uh, many patients say that they didn't have sexual desire, but it's in part because they're bored in the relationship. They're bored sexually. Uh, but then they meet somebody at work or they meet somebody on a girl's trip and they are attracted to them. They start dancing, whatever. And then one thing leads to another and they realize, hey, there's nothing wrong with my sexual desire at all. And so um, this, you know, you can see low sexual desire and not addressing it um, can actually uh, impact the relationship. So basically what I suggested, get back to you um, in terms of exercising, eating a nutritious diet, making sure you get adequate sleep, taking time for yourself. Um, also, uh, you know, treating the vaginal dryness with a personal moisturizer like Repigine or Femme, P-H-E-M-M-E, um, is, is very good um, for, and the only ones that I actually recommend to my patients and Gynetron. 
cough is another one. Um, and those can be, those are over the counter or speak to your doctor about low dose localized estrogen therapy, which will also help. These are lifelong therapies, ladies. So it's not something that you just try and it doesn't work. And it also takes two to three months to optimize. Also utilizing the womanizer, which is a fabulous device, a clitoral stimulation device, um, will, will also help to increase your sexual desire and to increase about, um, your thoughts and your fantasies. And maybe you are just going to utilize that womanizer thinking about somebody at the office or the former office that you used to go to. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. You can subscribe, rate, or review on your favorite podcast app. And if you've got a question about your health, the nurse is always in. So email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com, and I just might answer your question anonymously, of course, on next week's show. For now, have a happy and healthy week. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, TuneIn, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.